Well, to introduce this new series and why I feel prompted to move in this direction, the passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks, I want to start off with a story, a family adventure we had where we went whitewater rafting at Ohio Pile, Pennsylvania. Anybody been whitewater rafting? Anybody? All right. Fair number of you have been up for adventure. You're adrenaline junkies like I am. And so we go off on this adventure with our kids and we're, um, you know, just having a great time. You're floating down this really peaceful river and as you're doing so you're going man this is like easy peasy like anybody can do this this is like you know this is and we're looking at the clear blue skies and it's amazing out it's sort of like that picture you see right there and then then you turn a corner right and the river gets angry and within seconds I look like this right here that's like me so I told my kids, like, they, they, la- they, they didn't pray for me, they didn't cry, they, they couldn't stop laughing as I fell out three times. I spent more time in the water like that than I did, in the, I think, in the raft. Now, they're talking about life insurance policy I had and all kinds of other stuff. And I'd been telling them on the trip down, I'd go, kids, what you got to do is you got to hold on. Like, I'm experienced, you haven't done this, I have, here's how you stay in the raft. And then it turns out that, you know, I'm the guy who, uh, and Mary, I mean, my own wife, I thought this was going to be an adventure. She thought it was a comedy show. Um, (laughs) If you see her, just say, how much do you really love your husband? (laughs) I tell that story for this reason. I think it's a great metaphor for life. You're going through the peaceful season of life, and everything seems to be calm, and you're like, man, this is is good, and, and it's going swimmingly well, and then you turn a corner, and you hit whitewater. There's a crisis of some sort that... And you feel like you're being tossed around like ducklings in a hurricane. That's what it feels like. You're holding on for dear life and you go, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. And you wonder if you're going to, you know, what's going to happen? How is this all going to end? Are we going to crash? Maybe you start screaming at the people around you like you tend to do in a raft. If you've been rafting, you know that there's not just like one bit of rapids and then you're like home free. What happens? Like, they, they actually classify, like, with a number of, like, what, what number this is. And, and they'll be like, oh, that's the one, you know. And, and so there's this series. You have rapids and then calm and then rapids and calm and, and et cetera, et cetera. And I think, in a sense, it's probably fair to say, would you agree that our nation, a couple years ago, uh, went through some really white water time? You might go, we, did, we went through that? Are we maybe not still in it? Uh, but we had... All things COVID and masks and vaccines and all. Anybody have any disagreements over that? And we had a contentious and hotly contested election. We had conversations about race and justice. We had so much like just, it was like a gurgling, bubbling, brewing, boiling stuff going on in our country, right? And it feels like we've gone to some some sort of calmer waters, But I have this cheerful thought about our future that others would have with me that we might be approaching another set of rapids. We have another election. Anybody anybody aware we have another election coming up? I think there's like 30 or 40 candidates already in the presidential election. We have key issues on the ballot, even in Ohio this fall. I mean, contentious ones. We have a shaky economy, job market. We have hot-button, you know, topics in our culture and moral decay. 
we have, there are issues in the church at large. I'm not, I'm not just saying, I think at Grace, I'm like, Mary and I have this thing where like, let's, in a marriage, you talk about difficult things in times of non-conflict. Like, you don't, you don't get in the worst argument and go, you know what I want to say to you? <laughs> and you sort of save it for that moment. That's not a good way in a marriage or any friendship. You sort of wait till you get one of the calm periods and say, hey, would this be a good time for us to talk about when we hit the whitewater? And, and that's really what we're doing today. That we want to ask today, what does a follower of Jesus do when the whitewater comes? Like, I mean, you can just say, I'm going to hold on for dear life. I'm going to start screaming at the people around me. I'm just going to hide and hope this all passes. Or do we say, Jesus, this is a moment that didn't surprise you. You're not anxious in a storm. You never have been. You slept in the boat when your disciples were thought they were going to die. And Jesus, you're with me right now in these rapids. What does it look like to honor you, to reflect you, to be one of your followers I'm thankful that he, he doesn't leave us without, like, he gives us, like, a, a navigational guide, right? Psalm 119, 105 says this, that, that, Lord, your word is like a lamp for my what? Feet and a light for my path and a guide for the white waters and culture and whatever else we face. Today, we could add. And so I, I like us to open up our Bibles to a letter seventh book of the New Testament, a group of believers who went through extraordinarily choppy waters internally, externally, in the church of Corinth, Greece. So the letter we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And uh, while you're turning there, let me just say, hey to all of you at Olmstead Falls, we love you. Guys at Lorraine Correctional, do you know the guys at Lorraine Correctional, all of our volunteers showed up this past Monday. And they made a meal that was completely done in microwaves, because that's all they have accessible. And they made a cheesecake. I mean, it was you, I heard it was phenomenal. I just am sorry I missed that Monday. And, uh, but thank you, thank you for that. And, and then for those of you who are engaging online, we can't wait to see you again. Uh, it's always better to have you on site. Some of you are out of town. I met some friends who were watching from uh, Yakima, Washington, and Florida, and South Carolina, Senegal. Uh, we love you, and those of you catching this on podcast, thanks for joining us. So 1 Corinthians was written to a group of Jesus followers in this cosmopolitan port city of southern Greece, and, and you'll see the map here, and, uh, and they face their share of whitewater places, and, and you know, you'll see Ephesus and Thessalonica, Philipp, Philippi, those are the, you'll, you know, their letters addressed to real people in real places. And Paul addresses, in, the, in this letter to the Corinthians, he addresses things like excessive drinking and affairs. Um, you guys can take the map down there. And he addresses huge doses of pride and lawsuits, all kinds of issues. I mean, this was a church that was going through it. And uh, just big time. And Paul gives them 16 chapters of careful argument and patient wisdom, and he shows a lot of grace. And he starts off the first several verses just going, I thank God for you and for what he's done in your life. And one commentator says, you know what I would have done? I would have been far less patient and gotten right to the point. He says, I would have sent a single paragraph 
a theological drone strike with the sole aim of blowing their appalling behavior off the face of the earth. Like this, real simple. Andrew, called to be an apostle by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth. Stop. Now. Repent, apologize, change your ways, and I might find it in my heart to talk to you again next winter. Grace be with you. Amen. And that would have been the letter. <laughs> Paul does something really different. Like he just shows grace and he loves these people. He has seen them come to a relationship with Christ and he loves them enough to say, you know what, I, I'm going to affirm you and then we're going to have some talks about some difficult things about the white waters you're facing. This was a group of people who didn't just face the external pressure of, of like persecution and, you know, they, they faced the internal danger of, of just assimilating, copying the ways of the world around them, living just like anybody else and not following the way of Christ. And then all kinds of division among them. In fact, I want to jump right into the aim of Paul's letter in verse 11. And here's what he writes. He says, and this is sort of the theme of Paul's letter is what he wants to address head on. He goes, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, and another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He's asking these rhetorical questions. They were divided into all these little fan clubs and sort of proudly, you know, putting down those who disagreed with them. I want to do something to show how how much this compromises our witness, even today when we get into some these internal factions and squabbles and we say things like, well, I follow, you know, I follow John MacArthur, I follow Beth Moore, Joyce Meyer, I follow whoever, you know, and, and uh, we can just get all split into, and Jesus and Paul are calling us back. And so here's what I want us to do. One of, the, uh, one of the things I love about Grace is we're from a lot of different kinds of backgrounds, uh, so diverse religiously, and, and God has brought us from all these different backgrounds to where we are today. So here's what I want us to do, just to get the sense of how many different traditions religiously are represented in our church, including those of you engaging online uh, and at Lorraine. Uh, we're going to say them all out loud at the same time, all right, in just a second. So um, when I ask you what your religious upbringing is, you might say something, you know, you might say Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Episcopalian, AME, AOG, whatever other initials you like to use, Nazarene, Orthodox, Baptist, all kinds of Baptists, Southern Baptist, Northern Baptist, American Baptist, National Baptist, Free Will Baptist, New Jerusalem, Church of God, Hallelujah, Zion Baptist. I mean, there's just all kinds of Baptist churches. There's non-religious, there's atheist, agnostic, maybe a Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, whatever it might be, Jewish. And so, okay, if I didn't even say, if I didn't say yours, you, you have it in mind. And on the count of three, would you say your background out loud, nice and like with volume so everyone can hear? Ready? One, two, three. How much sense did that make? Not like a lot, right? Did I hear those of you online as well? Yeah, I, that you just go, that's just like this cacophony of like voices. You go, there's, it's just, it doesn't, it's confusing, right? But if I asked you to say the name of the one who gave his life for us, 
the one who poured out his life so that we could be forgiven and adopted into his family. In fact, would you say the name Jesus aloud with me on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. One, two, three. Jesus. Right? Like that, that you just go, wow, if, if we could be united in our lives and in our, in our, our relationships in that kind of way, the testimony to a watching world is huge. The believers in the city of Corinth, in the middle of their cultural white waters, in the midst of all the challenges they were going through, Paul calls them back and he says, I want you to be united around the one who gave his life for you. So listen to what he says in verse 10 here. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be, what? No divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought Paul's saying that's possible. That's the goal for Jesus' followers. No divisions, perfectly united. This was the basis for making it through tough times. He's like, if you're going to get through the white waters of whatever you're going through, the suffering that you're going to face, the inter- I want you to be united around the one who's done everything for you. From the start, what Paul does is he sort of brings into focus the work of Jesus in our lives and how he transforms broken people. Let's go back to verse one. I just want to read, and if you just sort of see, what does Paul say that Jesus has done uh, for them and for us? And, and then we'll just we'll sort of break that down. He says this. He starts off in this way. Paul called to be an apostle. That's like a sent one, a, a missionary of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And our brother Sosthenes, who's that guy? Probably the one who wrote, like who's, was this scribe that penned Paul's words, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, that's set apart, being shaped by Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, you have been enriched in every way. With all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul's doing. He's going, friends, before he addresses, here's here's the issue. You're, You're all so divided. You've gotten yourselves in a tizzy and you're arguing amongst yourselves. He says, can I just remind you? Can I call us back to our common heritage? And here's what he does. He says, I want to look at our past. And he talks about... um, the past, and he says, God has given us grace. If you guys want to put that slide up there, he says, given us grace to release our shame and guilt. We share in his forgiveness, adoption into his family. That unites us. It's not only what he's done in our past, it's what he's doing in our present, that the spirit of Jesus lives in us today. He's making us more and more like himself. 
He's saying the same Holy Spirit that lives in you, he lives in me. He lives in all of us, us who have put our trust in Christ. So we're in the same team, same family, same calling, he says. And then we share an amazing future that Jesus is able to keep us strong until the day that he returns or calls us home. Friends, he's saying we have so much to look forward to. So we await this next chapter, our forever home when Jesus comes again or calls us to, to the place that, that, he, that he's prepared for us. And what was happening with these Christians instead? They're starting to divide themselves into rival groups. They're getting all angry with each other. And, and in so doing, it's threatening the unity that Jesus prayed for. We'll come to that in a bit. Compromising their witness. The world looks and goes, so what is this? Like, you're, you're no different. You're, you're a bunch of people who can't get along. You don't make it through the white water rapids when you let minor issues replace the centrality of Jesus Christ in your life. So Paul calls them back to Jesus. Jesus is faithful when everyone else disappoints. And so, Paul, he's just so Jesus-centered. In fact, in these first nine verses, Jesus is mentioned by name nine times. A quick summary, Jesus is the one who called Paul to be an apostle. He's the one in whom the Corinthians have been made holy. He's the giver of grace. Jesus is the one in whom that grace has been given. He's the source of all riches. He's the subject of Paul's preaching. He's the basis for our hope. He's the one that all of history is pointing forward to the day when Jesus returns. And Jesus is the one with whom we, he says we have fellowship, communion, this life in common today, saying Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying, friends, the, it's, it's, it's this. Jesus is more important than, than anything else that threatens the unity of this family that he calls his own. What does that mean for us today? If you don't see eye to eye on which presidential candidate someone should vote for, that's okay. You still share a common heritage in Jesus Christ. If you don't agree on every point of doctrine, you can still chill. Remember, you have this unbreakable bond because of what Christ has done for you and for that person with whom you disagree. If you don't like the way another person lives out their faith, you're like, I would never do it that way. That's okay. Because you're going to share a forever home in heaven, made perfect. And it, well, maybe you already feel like you're perfect, but they'll be made perfect, right? And you'll, you'll say, we're gonna, we're gonna be like, we're gonna have this home, we're gonna love each other. Like, we're gonna... So why not start today and say, Jesus, these are the people you've called to be part of the same family with me. Paul's saying, friends, look, look what Jesus has done for you. You are brothers and sisters in this upside down kingdom of Jesus. And that's where he goes next in the chapter. Paul is saying this, he's going, the gospel is God's crazy powerful answer to all that ails a broken world. You have this innocent person, Jesus, from a despised race, charged as a common criminal, and then executed in one of the worst ways imaginable. 
It didn't make sense to a lot of people then. It doesn't make sense to a lot of people today, but it was God's plan. He wasn't going, oh my goodness, what are they doing to my son right now? I just wasn't, no, he knew that this was going to happen, that his son would be a perfect sacrifice and that because of that one death of an innocent man, Jesus, God the Son, that countless lives would be transformed. Listen to how Paul puts it in verse 18. He says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Verse 20, he says, so where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. You can't just, you can't make your way intellectually to God on intellect alone. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Here's what he's saying. What looks like nonsense to others, the death of an innocent man, God's son in our place, he's saying it's actually God's wisdom. It's his perfect plan, and countless people ever since have been changed as a result. And this is how Paul finishes. He's saying, friends, you have no reason for pride (coughs) or for sort of looking down on other people. He says, you are a bunch of nobodies who became somebodies only through the Lord Jesus Christ. How? Because through Jesus, God has adopted us into his forever family. He took the initiative and did what you and I were powerless to do. Listen to the words that Paul uses to describe us in verse 26. Here's what he says. He says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those that are powerful. God chose the things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, he says, no one can ever boast. It's a gift, isn't it? It's all grace. And in emphasizing this, Paul's saying, you know what, there's this level playing field. He goes, don't, don't, don't be saying like, well, I'm part of this group, or I'm part of this, or I, go, I, I, he says, the church is a body of Jesus followers that are all desperately and equally in need of grace. Do you know that the, the first century church, and really the church ever since, is the only place that brought together as one, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, literate and illiterate, rich and poor, male and female, same family, all tied together because of a common relationship with Jesus. And thankfully, it's freely available to all of us even today. So on the cross, Jesus accomplished for you and me 
what we can never do on our own. And if someone gives you a gift like that, well, you don't, that you don't deserve, you just go, I, I, there's, I, there's no boasting, right? So listen to how Paul finishes this first chapter, verse 30. He says, Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about whom? About the Lord, right? Boast only about, it's all about Jesus. He's everything. Here's what I'm asking us to do. You might say, Jonathan, what, what, what would be the application here? I, as we have come through some white waters where too many of us got sideways with each other on things that should never have caused division or dissension. As we approach some white waters that I think will probably come in our country that threaten to divide or things within the church, the church as a whole, globally, nationally, that threaten to divide, can, can we just say today, Jesus, I want to be an answer to the prayer that you prayed right before he went to the cross. You might go, what, what, what prayer did he pray? It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus, John chapter 17. We won't turn there, but can I, just, can I just read just two lines, two verses from what Jesus says? You'll see this on the screen. Chapter 17 of John, verse 11. He says, Father, protect them by the power of your name so that they will be what? United. Hours before Jesus goes to the cross, he says, Lord, Father, let them be united. And then in verse 20, he says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, the one in his circle there, but also for all who will ever believe in me, including 2023. I pray that they will all be what? One, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I'm in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Friends, do you believe that's still Jesus' prayer for us today? He's going, Father, make them united. Lord, keep them one. That's what he longs for in his family, the church. And do you know why? That's why the enemy is hard at work to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy knows that if he can cause divisions in the church and dissension and we get we argue about stuff that is second and third and fourth tier kind of things he's going to compromise our witness it's going to sound like all those voices before we goes ah oh, they're powerless to be a witness to a watching world it doesn't mean that we'll always agree with every other christian it doesn't mean that we'll always vote the same it doesn't mean that we'll have theological uniformity but we'll keep Jesus at the center. He's the one who matters most of all. Can we commit to that, to staying united because of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I hear from you one more time? Who is the one who is praying for you and for me even today? His name is? Jesus. Who's the one who died so that you and I could be forgiven? Jesus. Who has adopted us into a family so that we can be brothers and sisters? And who's coming again someday and he'll keep his promise? Jesus. Friends, he will never, ever fail you. Whatever crisis you go through personally, whatever we face as a church, whatever we face as a nation or globally, and some of you are in crisis right now, he will be faithful. Jesus never gets anxious in a storm. May he keep us united as his people so that a watching world will see the power and the grace 
and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ on display. Are you in? Let's pray and ask him to make it so. And I want to invite you just to make this prayer your own as I pray that you say, Lord, you just agree with me and you pray these, these words as your own. Let's pray together. Lord, I want you to be everything in my life. I want your prayer for unity and oneness to be answered in me. And so I invite you to shape me. And Lord, forgive me for where I've spoken in belittling ways about people who see things differently than I do. Forgive me for not loving certain people I disagree with the way that you love them. I confess that I've fallen short. So Holy Spirit, I invite you to prompt me and empower me so that my life will be a reflection of Jesus, that others who don't yet know you will see your power and grace on display in us, in me. Make it so, Jesus, for the power, for the glory of your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen.